I still recall from the books I read All the great empires built in my head But every year I raise one more I bought it all and I dropped off But I'm, I'm still seeking Hello and welcome to another dystopian episode of Seeking Tumnus, the podcast where we defy the wearying effects of time and feast on modern young adult fiction. On alternate episodes, we get down and boogie, step back in time, to the books we loved as young rapscallions. My name is Laurie, and I'm joined by my fellow hosts, she who knows what's going on when I say je mets mon pantalon. <laughs> Je mets mon pull. <laughs> That's a bizarre ritual there. <laughs> oh, gosh. I was about to say, as soon as you introduce one of the boys, why don't you ever introduce me first? But you just did. Ah, oh, well, it's all coming together. I'm super impressed. It is. It's the best one ever. Ah, <laughs> oh, you're just pandering now. <laughs> Keith. I find Miss Roth very attractive, but don't want to seem reductive, Row. <laughs> Ferme la bouche. <laughs> <laughs> no, you want, do you want to be really impolite there? Ta gueule. How dare you? <laughs> Is that Dothraki? What? <laughs> Sorry? <laughs> Never mind. And the suspiciously soggy Patrick Moon. <laughs> to the king, cassez-toi. <laughs> This episode, we escape from sledgehammer morality and instead read Veronica Roth's Divergent, book one of the Divergent trilogy. Can we spot the difference? Let's find out. But first, a warning. Before we begin, I'll be administering a brief questionnaire for listeners. Based on your responses, we'll be able to determine how you think and therefore how you act. We'll then know precisely how you'll respond to the spoilers that we're about to rain down upon you. Before you answer, I hope you've completed the compulsory study in the form of the book, or failing that, the film might be enough to get you across the line. If you haven't completed either, it would be in your interest to pause this and do your homework before proceeding. Alright, now that we've scratched the bottom few names off the list, I can reveal to the remaining hopefuls that there is, in fact, no questions. I'm still working on the serum that will allow me to invade your thoughts. So without further delay, Laurie... Why don't you let the initiates know what they're in for with page one? There is one mirror in my house. It is behind a sliding panel in the hallway upstairs. Our faction allows me to stand in front of it on the second day of every third month, the day my mother cuts my hair. I sit on the stool and my mother stands behind me with the scissors, trimming. The strands fall on the floor in a dull, blonde ring. When she finishes, she pulls my hair away from my face and twists it into a knot. I note how calm she looks and how focused she is. She is well practiced in the art of losing herself. I can't say the same for myself. I sneak a look at my reflection when she isn't paying attention. Not for the sake of vanity, but out of curiosity. A lot can happen to a person's appearance in three months. In my reflection I see a narrow face, wide round eyes and a long thin nose. I still look like a little girl, though sometime in the last few months I turned 16. The other factions celebrate birthdays but we don't. It would be self-indulgent. There, she says, when she pins the knot 
in place. Her eyes catch mine in the mirror. It is too late to look away, but instead of scolding me, she smiles at our reflection. I frown a little. Why doesn't she reprimand me for staring at myself? So today is the day, she says. Yes, I reply. Are you nervous? I stare into my own eyes for a moment. Today is the day of the aptitude test that will show me which of the five factions I belong in. And tomorrow, at the choosing ceremony, I will decide on a faction. I will decide the rest of my life. I will decide to stay with my family or abandon them. That's page one. Bravo. Beautiful. How did it hit you? Patrick? I really liked it. When I first read it, I really liked it. Just hearing you read it out loud then, I, I thought, oh, this, this pace is a little bit slow. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> I think more the writing than your delivery. But yeah, it, it grabbed me in, in a way that a lot of the books that we've done haven't. So I was pretty excited, actually, just reading the first couple of pages. I felt like I was in that zone that I enjoy so much, my comfortable dystopian post-apocalyptic zone. (laughs) (laughs) What about you, Keith? Yeah, this is a pretty strong opening, I thought, and I was enjoying it. So I definitely wanted to find out more about why she wanted to leave her family and what these factions were. Brie? I agree. That was a really good little hook, that one. Why are you only looking at yourself in the mirror? You're clearly some kind of a teenage girl. Why are you just looking at yourself in the mirror once every three months? So I was like, hmm, interesting. What's next? One of the great mysteries of the novel. (laughs) (laughs) Laurie? Of all the factions we're introduced to later, abnegation is the most pious and least sinful. Uh, Dedicated to the helping of others, forsaking all sinful pride. Well, there's a bit of... I kind of disagree with that. You have this theme that we'll talk about, I'm sure, about selflessness being brave, depending on the way you look at it. Keep going. I was like, oh, oh spaghettios! <laughs> Bad choice. <laughs> After Little Women last episode, I wasn't expecting more quasi-religious morality-related themes popping up, at least not on page one. Oh, but there's a difference between preachy and just containing themes. Agreed. I was quite metaphorically praying for a rapid segue to something else. To be fair, it's quite clear that for Beatrice, and to a lesser degree her mother, that something is rotten in the state of Denmark. So there's hope. Let's hear what happens next. Patrick? Well, as we've covered, Divergent is Veronica Roth's vision of a dystopian post-apocalyptic Chicago where the people are separated into five disparate but equally irritating factions, as far as I'm concerned, (laughs) based essentially on their personality. You have Erudite, who are the joyless intellectuals of the world. Dauntless, people who feel like doing stupid things for no good reason. Candor, for people who can't keep their mouth shut. Amity, who are some peaceful dudes who don't even feature in the book, as near as I can tell. And Abnegation, who are a bunch of preachy ascetics who don't actually have personalities at all. So that's where you go, I suppose. If you if you fail to fit into any of the others, they'll just dump you in Abnegation. Our heroine, Beatrice, was raised in Abnegation. But when she enters a simulation that will help her choose her permanent faction at the age of 16, the results are inconclusive. Her personality is divergent. Brave and intellectual, yet also selfless. Warned to hide her true colours, Beatrice, or Triss, as she begins to call herself, joins Dauntless, abandoning her family in the process, and her brother chooses Erudite. Triss must undertake the gruelling initiation set forth by Dauntless, lest she be cast out and made factionless, which is apparently a terribly scary fate. 
they basically seem homeless is the, the nearest comparison that I could make to a real world situation. Along the way, she'll be sexually harassed by her trainer, mysteriously named Four, and endure the violent competition from her peers. Uh, there are a limited number of spots in Dauntless, and they all want them. Meanwhile, there's scheming going under the surface. The Divergent are trying to be rooted out by dark, mysterious, shadowy figures linked to the other factions, and there's some discontent about the role of abnegation as the only political leaders in the world. It sets the scene for the grand crescendo of the piece. Anyone have anything that they would like to add? I would maybe question the allegations against Four. <laughs> that, that he's sexually <laughs> harassing his, his underling. Yeah. She does reciprocate the sexual harassment, to be fair, but uh, the, the romance is a centrepiece of the, the novel. It's not appropriate, though, is it, really? He's in the position of power that may influence whether or not she's in or out. If Dauntless had a more stringent code of ethics, probably Correct. he would be, <laughs> he would be in trouble. Words right out of my mouth. <laughs> and whilst he's a teacher, he's only two years her senior, so... I will point that and they out. make a big deal of that as well. It's like, oh gosh, he's old for you. What? <laughs> what? Well, an eighteen-year-old seems miles away when you're sixteen. Well, to me, to me, um... to me, the eighteen-year-old <laughs> girls may have may as well have been on another planet for all the, the chance of a, a romantic entanglement. What about when you were eighteen, dating a sixteen-year-old? That never happened. Okay, I was the 16-year-old. <laughs> yeah, I was waiting for that. <laughs> it's perfectly fine. I was practically in abnegation at that point, so. <laughs> <laughs> ah, dauntless, whatever. Why did you choose it, Keith? So through no particular individual fault, we've deviated rather heavily from the young adult category of book of late. I think the last one we did was The Fault in Our Stars, and that was back in May. So with this selection, I wanted not only to get us back to our stated intention, but I also wanted to read something that we've had success with in the past. That's post-apocalyptic dystopian sci-fi that doesn't include mazes. (laughs) 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 And I'm making a habit of doing this incorrectly because, again, with this one, I'd seen the movie but hadn't read the book. In that watch, I did enjoy the premise and aspects of the movie, but I thought the execution was a little lacking. If I didn't know better, Keith, I'd say you're more a movie watcher than a book reader. Do you belong in the Seeking Dumbness faction? (laughs) That's called parenthood. I will defend Keith on that. It takes longer to read a book than it does to watch the movie. Knowing it was based on a book, I was pretty certain that the book would be superior to the movie and I'd heard some rumblings from other people as well that it was a pretty good book. So that was why I chose it. And the last little reason... Only a small reason, but this selection totally evens me out on Bree's closely watched authorial gender imbalance scales of justice. So we are equal, Keith, you and I. <laughs> yes. So why don't you tell us what you thought about it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure you know what it is that I didn't like about this, which is that I found it very violent. <laughs> this? You found this violent? Yes. Why are you sounding so surprised? This was like play school. (laughs) Remember when those 11-year-olds were beating each other up? I found this much worse. Actually, it wasn't the physicality of the events, though I was a bit shocked at effectively children as 16-year-olds being encouraged to beat each other until they were knocked unconscious. And also the particular viciousness of the character Peter, who becomes a bit of a nemesis for 
I was going to say Katniss there, but it's Triss. <laughs> we wish. And, yes, I do know that this is the situation they were put in. They didn't have a choice. This isn't our world. All those usual excuses. But the thing that actually really bugged me about it is the ease with which they seem to deal with this new to them, especially for those that have transferred from other factions into this dauntless faction, into this new violent reality. They've spent 16 years in non-violent communities pursuing knowledge or selflessness or whatever it is, but not necessarily or apparently being exposed to this level of horror. And it kind of felt it was a completely missed storyline or a missed thread throughout the novel that they never paused to deal with that viciousness. There wasn't much nuance to how Triss or Christina or Will or whoever it was dealt with beating each other up afterwards. It was just salve your wounds and move on. So that really, and even witnessing each other doing that sort of thing, it was just a very kind of cold reaction. We did have a bit of that. Just for clarity, the initiates are ranked according to their standing and their likelihood of making it into the faction, and so they are pitted against each other in one-on-one fights in a chance to improve their rank and told that you know they need to fight until the other person is unable to fight anymore. And this is also a new thing to the faction. Previously, it sounds like maybe they were just fighting until they conceded and there's these new rules due to the politics of the day. So Dauntless is starting to side with Erudite, <laughs> who is trying to basically take over power of the, the city or the all five factions or the government. And it just just felt a bit faux, just not quite right to me. I did like the construction of the world. I liked the idea of these factions being created to strive to keep peace in society in their own ways. The abnegation through being selfless and supporting others, no matter who they are, probably a little bit extreme. The erudite through the pursuit of knowledge and always bettering yourself and innovation and those sorts of things and so on and so forth. And there were obviously echoes of the Hunger Games and the Maze Runner all sort of mixed up together for me. And I'm not really sure which order all of those books comes in, but this kind of constructed environment where the people are kept in by a great wall of Chicago, I kept wondering what was on the other side. And there were sort of hints scattered throughout book one, which led me to believe that maybe there's something in the next two about what's on the other side. And (laughs) I'm quite keen to find out whether it's survival like in the Hunger Games or more of a social experiment like in the Maze Runner. I've read the synopsis. It's actually a a post-apocalyptic society of bears that have uh, (laughs) taken over America. Oh, wow. Is is that large, husky, homosexual men with beards or (laughs) ursine? Are they as vicious as those drop bears in Australia? Are they robotic bears by any chance, Pat? (laughs) Oh, gosh. All, all of the things that you've said are correct. The author combines all of these in a a beautiful, a beautiful, succinct kind of way. For our foreign audiences, look up drop bears, vicious, vicious, nasty creatures. What I did think was quite well executed was the coming of age or Triss's transition to adulthood. They captured that 16-year-old, in my opinion, female angst where you're, you know, you kind of turn, not, yeah, you do, you turn away from your family for a few years to figure out who you are, make mistakes, fall in love, figure out what your path is in life before you go back to them. So I really quite liked how she chooses her path and then starts to forge strong relationships based on reliance on each other, but also friendship with those in her potential new faction. So pretty typical for a 16-year-old. I quite liked that. Didn't mind four either, the way he, in the book, (laughs) his commitment to what he believes the Dauntless should be, which is more around teamwork and being selfless for the other members of the team. Yeah, I quite liked that. Keith. 
Thanks, Barry. I was really quite hopeful with this book based on the things that people have said to me and just on the general popularity of it because, as we know, nothing that's popular is ever bad. So I'm happy to say that from the beginning, I thought the book was quite all right. Not particularly wonderful, but it moved along at a pretty nice pace. And I was wondering whether maybe it was because I'd seen the movie that I wasn't getting right into it. But then sort of around the 30 to 40% mark, something happened. And I don't know exactly what that was, but through the middle part of the book, I got right into it. Up to that point, I thought the writing was reasonable, a bit forced and cliched, but it was fit for purpose. Through the middle, I thought the writing got a lot better. Was that just me? I thought it was definitely more engaging as it went on, but I thought the writing was pretty consistent all the way through, actually. Okay. It might have just been I was becoming more attached to the characters or something because I definitely something about the book just seemed a lot better from that point onwards until a certain point. So, my reckoning is that Veronica Ross doing a fantastic job of capturing the wild extremes of young adult emotions. And uh, Brie mentioned that it was female, but I think it sort of holds true to males as well. So, Beatrice or Tris, one moment she's calm, self-assured, full of self-belief, and the next she's doubting herself entirely. All the while, she's also balancing this against the way she feels she's perceived by the others, which is really what people coming of age spend a lot of time doing, or I know I did. It helps to keep what is really quite an obtuse situation relatable. And it's a big part of what made this book so enjoyable for me. It's where this really stands out against things like the Maze Runner, in my opinion. That was an interesting concept, but it didn't get there on the characterization front. And I think this book did. It deals once again with a topic that comes up very frequently in children's and young adult fiction, and that's bullying. And I think it was handled pretty well. Brie may disagree. It was pretty violent, but you have to accept that's the world that they're living in. It's a dog-eat-dog world, and the alternative of being factionless is not an option. Uh, I do disagree. They're not really living in a particularly violent society. There's no mention in that first 30% that there's factions fighting amongst each other. The factions generally seem to be living peaceful lives in and of their own accord, interacting where they have to with Dauntless basically being the gatekeepers to the city, not beating up people on street corners. The hints of rebellion seem to be coming from newspaper articles, not mm. not infighting. So it's not necessarily, to me, a particularly violent society at all. It doesn't feel like it has to be, but I think that's the way it's going and we're only seeing this late stage of the societies broken up the way they are and I'll touch on this a little bit later when we talk about the factions as to how effective it is. So I'll move on to the last half of the book or the last part of the book probably. I thought it lifted what was already a pretty steady pace right to the culmination and I was again right in the moment at that point. The death of the parents, it felt slightly unnecessary and it's a huge spoiler I guess. Triss's parents? Yeah, the death of her parents, both in separate incidents of self-sacrifice, which is true to the abnegation factions, although Triss's mum was dauntless at some point. It didn't feel like it was adequately justified. It felt like it was in there to add some weight and some emotion to the final stages of the book, and I don't know whether it was actually necessary in the story. The ending itself was a bit of a letdown, mainly because it wasn't really an ending. It was just an opening for the next book. But on the whole, I really, really enjoyed this book. It was fun and easy to read, and I got into the head of Triss, and I enjoyed the characters. Yeah, I liked it. Laurie, what did you think? In preparing for this episode, I saw a comment that I couldn't shake from my head. It said that this was a dystopian paint-by-numbers that the general framework that sits around it is there, but there's a, it's a shadowy, ethereal thing that doesn't really resolve into substance. It's dystopia light. The fallen world outside their walls, which is never explained at all, is not a 
crushingly overwhelming thing. There's occasional mention from the power-playing erudite of food shortages, but those concerns seem to be more centred around them seeking luxury or improvement of their circumstances rather than the actual resolution of some crisis. There's no failing power call that results in power rations, no crumbling walls that threaten to let noxious gas... Ga- gas. <laughs> noxious gas. <laughs> noxious gas. You know, stop it. <laughs> I told you it's bears, Laurie. There's oh, no- my God. <laughs> There's no crumbling walls that threaten to let robotic bears in. And people aren't living in horrid conditions due to some missing resource. And there isn't one oppressive government monitoring and dictating their every action through the inappropriate use of technology. Well, maybe the last one, eventually. But it's depressingly dystopia-ish. The contention in this book is the faction system. And it's just, in my opinion, a bit of a flop. How the system could have been conceived by the inhabitants of this universe, agreed upon and implemented, it's just unfathomable. Anyone that doesn't fit one of those archetypes is either factionless, which is the minority in this book, or a divergent. Really? The factioned, even after generations of deliberate breeding, maybe, would almost certainly be outnumbered by the factionless. Like, nature is chaos. I don't know how they conceive that this this system would ever be stable. It's a bit of a nature versus nurture question, maybe. I don't think it'll ever stick. I, I think there'll always be outliers, and I think eventually those outliers would, what, unless you prevent the factionless from breeding, maybe? What happens in book two? Any idea in book two, anyone? Not, not spoiling it, but just... <laughs> I'll sit back down again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't think Roth really does a good job of selling the premise of the factions, of giving it like solid and believable reasons for their emergence. But she doesn't try to either. Yeah, but sometimes less is more, but I think in this case more would have been more. <laughs> <laughs> Lastly, what is Dauntless's purpose? Protection and police type activities? What are they protecting against? Because there is not a violent society, right? The factionless. <laughs> but we don't hear of them being overly violent. If this is answered in later books, I understand that fans who are listening might be shouting at their podcasting device, but I really wanted to sink my teeth into the flesh now. The characters only occasionally wonder what's out beyond those farms outside the walls and only half-heartedly answer, well, you don't want to know, you know, something terrible, but we we don't know. I really fucking want to know. <laughs> yeah, the world building here was pretty pretty low, but the characterization wasn't. But go on. I almost wondered if it was an M. Night Shamalama Ding Dong story <laughs> and whether they're all just pottering around on a dinky little cult farm in rural Utah or something. I banged on. I didn't hate it, but there was so much room for plot improvement and world building. If the factions had been given a realistic and solid backstory, if the world outside was something beyond an unexplained grey threat, then I probably would have enjoyed it a lot more. I loved Tris being different, of her being able to escape the Matrix, so to speak, during the tests, but she's just not enough. I think go read The Hunger Games, enjoy it more. As a Hunger Games alternative, that's weak. The way I excuse some of those problems you have with it is that we're seeing it through Triss's eyes, and this is a world where information is controlled. I, I don't know if that's enough excuse. No, I, I, I don't think so either. Surely everybody that lives within the walls wants to know what's outside them. 
and just being ignorant of it, even if they said, no, you can't go outside because it's radioactive, because there's robotic bears, whatever, you know. <laughs> but just to accept ignorance, every person in every faction being willing to accept that at this point, whether it's explained or not in subsequent books, it's a whole. They're not. They're divergent. Or they're factionless and they've chosen to leave. Yeah, I, I don't know. You're telling people to read The Hunger Games, which is where the controlling powers have decided to throw children from factions, effectively factions, into a battleground to kill each other, and that's somehow more believable. Yeah, but the backstory for that is revealed. The whole reason for having these dystopian societies is that you can basically scratch everything we know and start from the beginning and and do it however the hell you want. And I think she's certainly done that here and hasn't justified it or or done much world building along the way. But it's, it's the characters. It's always the characters. I support you on that, Keith, because Laurie himself has actually said that to us all on many occasions, that you don't have to apply reason and logic of our own society to this. It can be anything you want it to be. Dare to dream, kids. Patrick? I I think you both have equally valid points, to be fair. I liked the characters a lot and I liked the story. It was essentially the Hunger Games with a sorting hat, which, I mean, how how can you go wrong? (laughs) So I, I liked that aspect of it. But definitely there were some gaping holes as far as the world building was concerned and whatnot. But I I almost felt like Roth went a little bit too far towards the the grand scope, towards the end of the book. I was actually really settling into just the idea of the faction system, just the idea of being initiated into the faction system. And I, I liked that a lot. I liked the ritualistic stuff. I was enjoying some of the back and forth between Triss and Four, the romance that's developing there. And then when Roth tried to blow it all up a little bit and have the grand third act that expands the scope to the other factions and to the infighting and to catastrophe on a huge scale, I just checked out a little bit because I was loving the minutiae so much. So my problem is almost the opposite, I suppose. I was like, I don't care what's on the other side of the wall. Why do we have to do this? Why can't we just stay in the Dauntless headquarters and tell an interesting story about a girl who's going through this initiation process? Because that was the good part for me. Everything was, it was well written, solid plot, but just the hugest niggle that I had. Every time a gun was mentioned, Roth wrote it like she has only heard guns mentioned in stories and has never actually seen one or knows what one actually does. All of this talk of, like, he puts his finger on the trigger and clicks a bullet into, into the, the chamber. chamber. Like, what, yes. what are you even talking about? Like, do you understand the devices that you're describing? She opens the chamber to count the bullets. So I can tell you, lady, there's going to be one. There's going to be one in there because that's... Anyway, that was frustrating. I didn't pick up on any of that, didn't think twice, just (laughs) went with it. It drove me batty. Well done, Veronica. (laughs) Yeah, even in the final showdown, there was that, you know, the clicking the bullet into the chamber. What does that even mean? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of like the chick-chick before the boom, I think. Yeah, but she describes it like someone's about to shoot you and they're squeezing the trigger and at that point you hear the bullet clicking like some uh, anyway yeah <laughs> i was asking the same questions yeah but ultimately it was a fun ride and that's the most that i can really ask from these books given that when she sits down at her typewriter and she says i'm going to write a book 
and imagines her audience, she is certainly not envisaging me. This this is not the face that pops into her mind when she thinks of how these books are going to float off the shelves. And so if she can... Carry you, Dot. Pardon me. <laughs> if, she, if she can engage me to half the extent that she did, then she's done a spectacular job. So, yeah, thumbs up. Yeah, there was a lot of words spent on the romance and that sort of thing and even still that didn't bother me anywhere near as much as it did in something like Twilight. I liked that bit. I really liked that. Yeah. I enjoyed it too. I thought it was well done. There was definitely some of that same imbalanced power dynamic that we're used to from things like Twilight and find so problematic in Twilight. Not quite so bad. No, it wasn't it wasn't anywhere near as extreme and it was kind of an enjoyable ride. And I actually I, I quite liked Four. I thought for for once he was a, a reasonably sort of likable male love interest that wasn't entirely damaged and damaging. Well, that's the thing. I think she actually managed to hold him back a little bit. She wasn't giving in to her head might be telling her one thing, her body might be telling her another, but she was staying true to herself and he respected that. My body, (laughs) my body's saying. Sorry. You've just ruined my point. (laughs) I think I made your point. No. (laughs) I I illustrated it perfectly. (laughs) (laughs) He respected that and I liked that. Yeah, he was good. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Laurie, did you have any thoughts on the romance? No, I, I did sort of twig onto the, at one stage she mentioned she was a bit scared of him and I'm like, oh, here we go again. <laughs> <laughs> a dream of drinking your blood. Yeah, it wasn't anywhere near as bad as, as Twilight, so no, it was okay. But that I think is possibly because of where she's come from as well, right? So if in theory she's been encouraged to not look at herself or anyone else for 16 years, it's very foreign, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's interesting as well because she sort of has this idea that it's not foreign to four, but he, being the open sort of guy to her that he is, lets on that, you know, it is it's completely foreign to him as well. So it's not like he's some Lothario that's yeah. preying on these recruits. She's also the hero of the piece, though. She's put together, she's competent, she has these abilities that a lot of other people don't. She's a divergent, which does confer some advantages to you in the environment. And so she's not the dull princess in distress that Kristen, what's her face, plays <laughs> from Twilight. Bella. Bella. She's not not that Bella role who was just simpering, really, and leaned on Edward despite Edward being an absolute toolbox. Bella wasn't that bad. It was that bad. (laughs) It was that bad. I think that element of empowerment on her part made it much more palatable for me as well. Mm. She held her own. She was an equal partner despite the imbalance in their positions technically as the trainer, trainee. What did you think about her being a little bit too empowered. She did have an element of Mary Sue about her. Yeah, but the solution to her standing out and being too good and annoying her peers and mm. raising the eyebrows of her trainers and superiors was just just act a bit shit. You'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, act a bit scared. To me, that was about longevity. And in the climate that they were in, you know, they're hearing these rumblings, there's a hint of rebellion, who knows what's going on outside. There's a time to be brave and there is a time to be a bit self-protecting. you got to know when to hold them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That is a terrible, terrible song. <sighs> Come on, Kenny, kick in. you got to know when to oh. hold Yes, there he is. <laughs> know when to 
old head. <laughs> Thank you. Nowhere to walk away. I got the chorus. <laughs> Nowhere no to run. run. Uh, I'm hanging up. <laughs> I, I think she actually did put herself in danger by some of the things she did. In the very first simulation, she came out of it and Four told her, you were really damn quick and you need to be not so good at this because people are going to ask questions about why you are so good at what's going on here. And she proceeds to go through these simulations repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly after her three-minute time in the first simulation when she's told to just slow it the hell down. And then they give the final results at the end of all the tests they do and her result, average result is something like two minutes something seconds and you're like well you didn't slow it down at all yeah. you didn't change yeah. anything you got an explicit <laughs> warning and you said well fuck it <laughs> like it's it was it was silly she did need to pull her head in but we can chalk that up to being a teenager yeah that's right exactly right that's what i was about to say i think part of that made it more believable that she knew in her head what she had to do but she just couldn't bring herself to do it on several occasions it wasn't just when she was under who wants to lose Nobody wants to lose. She didn't have to lose. She just needed to slow down in her winning. (laughs) The movie handles it a bit better. Yeah. In terms of her reactions to keeping herself on the lowdown. Do you want to move on to the movie? Yeah, why not? (laughs) First off, who watched it recently? Me. I watched it two years ago on a plane and then I rewatched about half of it, a bit more than half of it today. Were you surprised by how long it was? It was pretty long, yeah. I almost fell off my chair. Like I was like, oh, we finished. And yet there was another hour to go. <laughs> well, the book wasn't short either, but it didn't really mm. introduce anything new in the movie. And it cut a bit mm. out, but yeah, it was quite a long movie. Patrick, did you watch it? I have not seen the film. Okay. All right. Keith, we'll start with you. What did you think? So first we'll talk about Tris. I thought mm. she was a believable Triss in the movie, but she was nothing like the Triss in the book. Right. She didn't have the same fragilities that I saw in Beatrice. <laughs> she didn't look sick enough, did she? Oh, wait, wrong book. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever that was. The Fault in Our Stars. Yeah. Yeah, I did like her though. Oh, is she the same actress? Yeah. yeah. And her brother, the one that she <laughs> made out with in the other movie, <laughs> was the same actor as well. <laughs> yeah, that's a bit weird, isn't it? All right. I wouldn't have picked her just looking at... I I haven't seen either of the films. I've only seen the cover of Fault in Our Stars. I definitely wouldn't have picked her for Triss. Yeah, it wasn't a close match to what I had imagined. And She did a better job in this, though. Yeah, she was pretty good. I liked her in it, but it wasn't the the Triss from the book. She also looked too old, and she was, and that's okay, though, because... Four looked way too old. So No, I didn't he? <laughs> he looked 30. Yeah. <laughs> he was 30. That's why he looked 30. When I was 16, I was dating an 18-year-old that looked just like that. Uh, I thought you were going to say a 30-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> You've got issues. When you're 16, you probably think he looked like that. <laughs> but, yeah, the movie was okay. It wasn't great. When I first saw it, I was on the plane flying one way and I missed the end of it because we landed and I watched the end of it flying back and I thought there was a whole big part to come and there wasn't so there was like this five minute bit which is basically the spoiler for the next movie which exists in the book as well and that was really disappointing so it let me down at the end and I didn't watch the end here again but yeah that was a bit of a downer for a movie to end on such an open premise guys that watch the whole thing do you agree I didn't hate the movie if we're talking about l-i-t-e easy to watch light movie fun it was fine light and easy 
<laughs> yeah, basically. Sometimes I just want to pick a movie, go and sit down in a theatre with my girlfriends and watch fluff so that I don't have to think and I don't have to worry about any serious decisions or life or work or family or whatever. Sometimes you just want to zone out. And for me, that's what this is. You could sit down with a thing of popcorn, a little bit of eye candy, reasonable storyline. The acting isn't amazing. It's quite dark. There's a couple of fun moments where she's ziplining through the middle of the city that I'm like, ah, oh, I would love that. I would love to have a go at that. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah, that was cool, the zipline, although the break was a bit mm. – that was uh, introduced for the movie as opposed to drop off and be caught by your peers in the in the book. Yes. But that was a nice scene. Triss isn't perfect. She isn't a Jennifer Lawrence who's got that, in my opinion, much more charisma and Jennifer Lawrence I think probably owns that character. But she does a good job. She's believable. She is brave. She is nuanced. At the end where she throws this knife, she really throws herself into a couple of things. Laurie? Yeah, I think if I'd been a big fan of the book, there were probably would have been a few moments in the movie that I wouldn't have liked, but because it was the opposite, I, yeah, I actually quite enjoyed the movie a bit more. There's a few lines at the end from, what's the name of the erudite leader? I can't recall. Janine. Uh, yeah, Janine. Yeah, where Janine's explaining why they have to be, they have to overthrow the government. And it's just short and sharp, but it explained in one or two sentences, what they didn't explain in the book very well. So I quite enjoyed that part of it. Yeah, it was okay. It wasn't brilliant, but it was shorter than the book and therefore less painful. <laughs> Ouch. Oh. They, they um, <laughs> dumbed down the violence in the movie quite a lot as well. Oh, that's true. I think they open it up for a younger audience than maybe had read the book. You'd have to. Yeah. It was pretty graphic. Like that scene in the book where the guy gets stabbed in the eye, like that's brutal. Mm. Oh, that was gone, yeah. What was the other thing that we we commented on, Brie? Oh, I know. During the during the test, the final test where she has to face her fears, in the book she's scared of becoming intimate with four just because she's nervous and she's 16 and she hasn't been in that situation before. But in the movie he gets a bit rapey. Yeah. I didn't like that. No. What was the point? As if he's – how is that like a fear given the kind of person he is? It just doesn't feel right. Anything else about the movies? Movie? Nope. How about we talk about Keith's interesting topic of – Penises. What faction <laughs> are you? Oh, factions. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Basically, I just want to ask you guys, which faction do you most identify with? Yay! Um, I'll just do a quick reminder of the different factions. We've got Abnegation, they're known as the Selfless. We've got Amity, the Peaceful. Candor, the Honest. Dauntless, the Brave and Dumb. And Erudite, the Intelligent. So who wants to go first? I think it would be more fun if we label each other. Yeah, that might be fun. (laughs) (laughs) There may be some fallout. (laughs) (laughs) Dear, oh dear. Bree, you put your hand up there for some comments? (laughs) (laughs) I think I already called Pat Erudite earlier in this episode under a cough in case you missed that. (laughs) Very intelligent. You seek knowledge. You come across as a... Curious. <laughs> I, was, I was wondering what was going to come out there. You never want to hear someone be like, you come across as a prat. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd be equally happy in Amity. Uh, but given 
that we've never actually met in person, perhaps in reality it's very different. Well, I, I wait till the doors of the trains close before I try and jump on <laughs> once they start moving away from the platform. Okay, so you're not dauntless. You agree with me there. <laughs> yeah, erudite or amity, maybe. Erudite in aspiration, at least, anyway. And once you hit the, the ice, you're dauntless. That's true. I think Keith's got a bit of candor. I agree. <laughs> I like that about you, Keith. <laughs> Thanks. I always know where I stand. That's nice. <laughs> Only with people I know that I can get away with it. And Laurie. <laughs> <laughs> Which one of the farmers? That would be Amity, I think. Amity. Yeah, I guess the hippies. Yeah, I'd go there if only to get outside the walls and bugger off. <laughs> I was actually going to say that you you could be a bit Amity-esque. Mm. I really couldn't peg you on that one, actually. Like, I was really, yeah, I honestly couldn't put you down as any of them specifically, Laurie. Oh, divergence. We should throw him down the <laughs> hole. <laughs> <laughs> he was definitely trying to break out from the uh, simulation that was the book. <laughs> no, but I also think that sometimes he can be a little bit candor. He's, he's just going to tell you how it is. I quite like that. Mm. I think mm. you're very candor-esque, Brie. Really? Yeah. I thought I was nice to everyone and I was amity. Maybe not kind, but nice. <laughs> Which one's <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I was sort of peg you as a little bit of dauntless as well, Brie. Not as stupid as dauntless, but, you know. <laughs> You've got the courage, yeah. Mm. Yeah, a bit of that, that spirit as well, I think. Well, thank you. You do have like 14 face piercings, so. <laughs> <laughs> so many tattoos. <laughs> what did you think of the whole faction idea? I mean, it's, it's so flawed it's ridiculous, but anything to say about it? I found it very jarring at first. I thought it was very flawed and very off-putting, but as the book went on I found that I just didn't really care so much about those perhaps more cerebral complaints that I just enjoyed what it was. Yeah. It was just a bit of fun, really. The Dauntless, they were idiots, but take them as they are, and it was quite an entertaining read, the initiation rites and things like that. And if you do have people that come together in those sorts of groups, I think those social settings where certain traits are valued and certain traits are reinforced, uh, that probably there will be some exacerbation of those things. Probably you will get that type of cohesion almost to a ridiculous degree. So it's not outside of the realms of possibility and it was an entertaining premise, which is what it had to be. It's not outside the realms of possibility. Come on. I liked it. You might have liked it, but... Allowing for the fact that they've been separated... I think that's what Pat's saying, right? I'm talking about the sort of echo chamber of having people who reinforcing certain values because you look at a number of splinter groups who have taken on certain ideologies and things and when there is no external influence, when there is a certain rhetoric and certain values that are instilled and, and reinforced, particularly by strong leadership, then you do get some pretty wacky human behaviour. If you look at look at Waco and look at Jonestown. And Pol Pot. Yeah, but they're aberrations. Yeah, but I'm, I'm saying that it's possible for an aberration to exist. Yeah, those sort of environments, they foster that. They magnify the negative aspects as well as the positive ones. 
this isn't the whole world either. This is one segregated city. These are small groups within one segregated city. On a micro level, it works as well. I mean, you go to university with a group of people who are doing the same subject as you. You start to talk about similar things. You go into a law school and everybody's talking about justice. And yes, you can have a bit of argy-bargy, but I don't know. You kind of have those similarities at a micro level as well as a macro level. Surely they're talking about suits, the TV show, not the thing you wear. Yes, yes, that's what law school is, suits. (laughs) Yes, that's what it is. You're right. I thought so. How hot is Rachel? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I was was watching Suits last night and I had that exact same thought. (laughs) I mean, it's not unusual when one watches Suits for one to have that thought, but it's just... Coincidence. Oh, and ju- and justice and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And justice is sexy. Go, Mike. <laughs> How dull is she? No, she's not dull. She's at not all. at all. She's dull. No, no. Not even a little bit. Yeah, no. Well, there you go. No accounting for taste. <laughs> Switching back to the idea of the factions, I think it's the strongest message that the book is preaching that you shouldn't always only associate with others that share the same thoughts and thought patterns as yourself as it doesn't foster a healthy character. Mm. All right. Scoring with me? Scoring with you. Yes, it's time for Scoring Scoring with with Bree. So I've actually diverged from the norm, sort of, because I've got six scores and I know Laurie's going to hate it. Please don't vote zero, guys. (laughs) (laughs) And Keith, too, (laughs) with his candor ways. Zero. Amity, who? No one gives a shit. (laughs) One. Candor. No shades of grey here. You just did not like this one and you will tell us so. Yeah, thanks, Bree. You call me candor and then make it one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you either like it or you hate it, right? So don't pick that one. Two. Wasn't I Amity? To be fair, I I have to take credit for that. I think I called I called you Candor Keith and I called Laurie Amity, so I've I've unknowingly pegged you both in the low ranges. As long as you and Brie have been sharing notes, that's okay. I think you've got bits of more than just Amity. Two Dauntless. This is brave, but ultimately let down with arrogance and some mismanagement at the top. Three abnegation. Eh, I will selflessly commit to saying this was fine. Others can judge whether it's better or worse. For erudite. <laughs> just erudite. <laughs> it's erudite. Let's just do it as it's supposed the to The pronunciation be. guide on that Ugh. website is ridiculous. Shut up, Veronica Roth. It's from Veronica Roth herself. She does say that that's how you say it, erudite. It's absurd, though. Erudite. Uh, erudite. Curious and smart, but a tiny bit of self-awareness is lacking. Five, Divergent. You can't put this book in a box. It is fierce and brave and intelligent and endearing and honest. Keith. I'm going with Erudite, Mm. which I think was four. Four. Yeah, four. Yes, four. But was that out of six? No, out of five. Five. I just gave one a zero just so I could shove Amity and then go, who? No one gives a shit. (laughs) Well done. Yeah, I'm giving it Erudite four. Laurie. Ah, my very first two. Is that as low as you've... No, no, it's probably not as low as you've gone, is it? No, it's definitely not. But it is the first, I think, time I've given to. It was okay. Dauntless. Mm. Pat? It was good fun. It lost the plot a little bit at points, but it did what it said it would on the box. So I give it an erudite as well. It's a four. 
Yeah, it's a four for me as well. It's kind of a love actually. So I liken it to that movie, Love Actually. Like it's easy to consume and it's fun. It's got a bit of romance. It's quite accessible. So for me, that's a win. Beautiful. Thanks, Brie. Hmm, no worries. What's next, Laurie? Next episode, Britain is on the brink of war and an abused little willy is evacuated from <laughs> Deptford to the countryside <laughs> in Michelle McGorian's Goodnight, Mr. Tom. Does Willie meet a kind older man in a strange new place that makes him forget his troubles? Will that man have goat legs and or Turkish delight? <laughs> Tune in and find out. I don't understand. Goat legs, Turkish delight, come on. C.S. Lewis. Come on. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly not every does. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Daydream Ne. 86 and Emmett OC <laughs> underscore on Twitter for their entertaining feedback. At Seeking Tumnus, if you'd like to chip in your opinion on Twitter or find us on Facebook. Also, a thanks to Andrew for pointing out that yes, Smeagol was in fact a hobbit. I claimed he was hobbit like, but not actually a hobbit in one of our previous episodes. Mm. But it turns out he was a stoor, which is one of the three hobbit subspecies. Uh, which is the broadest, heaviest, and closest to resembling men. Important stuff. I stand corrected. Oh, God, are we getting corrective feedback now? I'm going to need to vet everything I say. (laughs) Yep, I'm very worried. No, this encourages feedback. It's great. Until next episode, if you're stuck behind a massive wall and beyond it there's no sign of skinless 60-foot flesh-eating giants on the other side, then head to the end of the tracks, scale that wall, leave the sheeple behind... And keep reading. Mechanical bears. (laughs) Mechanical bears! (laughs) Scratch my robo beard. (laughs) I still recall from the books I read All the great empires built in my head But every year I raise one more I bought it out and a wardrobe door But I... It's over now It was all that I wanted Now I'm living without <laughs> Shut up There's not much point clapping 